welcome to the Wicked Good Momcast, a podcast for Boston moms by Boston moms. A space to hear stories from real moms, to celebrate the beauty of motherhood, and to normalize its challenges. Tune in while you fold laundry, commute to work or school, or get cozy after a long day in the trenches. Motherhood is hard, but it doesn't have to be lonely. You are a Wicked Good Mom. And now, here are your Wicked Good Momcast hosts, Megan and Shannon. The baby turned toddler is now finally sleeping through the night. So why can't mom fall asleep and stay asleep? On today's episode of the Wicked Good Momcast, we are talking to local sleep coach and expert, Callie Patrick of Callie Patrick Coaching. Callie is going to give us insight into the reasons we can't sleep, plus some great tips on how to reclaim our sleep so we can tackle motherhood well-rested. If you struggle with sleep, this episode is for you. Hello to all of our Wicked Good Momcast listeners. We're so thrilled to have our special guest, Callie, here for an episode all about mom sleep. Callie, thanks so much for joining us today. Could you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and what led you to becoming a sleep and well-being coach? Yes, of course. Thank you so much for having me today on the podcast. Um, My former career was actually in high tech. And uh, during that time, I personally struggled with sleep challenges for about two decades. And in 2012, I went through a rough time. Um, Lots of stressful events coincided and I experienced burnout before it was a diagnosable condition that, Mm -hmm. you know, now it's being talked about so much, but back then it really wasn't. And I had to find ways to heal myself. And I eventually did, but in a way that didn't follow a conventional path. And in going through this, I discovered a different way to help other people who, like me, had tried everything and and found a way to do this in a in a in a uh, situational way, one that adapted to different situations. So, you know, obviously I've recovered from from burnout. But since then, I've been diagnosed with a chronic illness that I had to manage. Um, Now I'm dealing with perimenopause. Right. So there's there's different uh, changes that happen, you know, across a life and. Uh, when we have trouble sleeping, the solutions I think that are out there are are sometimes very uh, specific and temporary. Mm-hmm. And and the way that I learned was how to you know just sort of roll with how like you know what life is throwing you and and be able to use the skills and techniques to to really um, help yourself throughout all different things. Yeah. Well, and we wanted to be very intentional about centering this episode around sleep tips for adults. Because we feel like there are so many resources for baby and kids sleep, but we don't talk as much about sleep tips for grownups. And like you said, a lot of it is kind of easy, temporary fixes instead of getting to the more root of the issue. Um, And I know Megan and I both have examples of periods where we either struggle falling asleep or we are waking up in the middle of the night and we're moms. We're obviously exhausted but we're still having trouble getting a restful night's sleep. And for both of us, our kids are all old enough now that they generally fall asleep on their own. They stay asleep on their own. So it's kind of frustrating that after surviving the long sleepless baby nights, now we can't seem to get sleep ourselves. So is this something that you've heard from other moms? And is there a reason that our sleep is different after having kids? So yes, I have definitely heard that from other moms. 
And, you know, the reasons why people have trouble sleeping vary widely, but there are certainly two common themes. And this is this is often whether you're a mom or not, although, uh, you know, there are specific reasons for moms. But the first is is the level of stimulation that we're all consuming daily. I like to think of it as something we consume. Mm -hmm. Right. This is general busyness. It's the amount of information we intake. It's how much running around we're doing, managing 10,000 things never stopping, listening to other people's problems, being on devices a good portion of the time. And when you're overstimulated, your nervous system is, is in, in the state we call hyper aroused and you become vigilant. Mm -hmm. And if you're sleepy, even if you're sleepy, vigilance will always win because it's a survival mechanism, right? You, mm -hmm. you are vigilant to protect yourself, right? And I know we're, we'll talk a little bit more about that later on, but the second related theme is training or learning. And, and you've no doubt been vigilant for years, right? Listening for the first sound of your children needing you. Mm -hmm. And while your kids may now be sleeping on their own, that patterning is still there. It doesn't just shut off. And so it does require retraining yourself. And, you know, I know many parents have bedtime routines and systems for getting their kids to bed. In fact, most sleep coaches do work with children. But just because we're adults doesn't mean we don't need these anymore. And while it's not the only piece, having a predictable ritual is a foundational component of refreshing sleep for everyone, including adults and including moms. And, you know, that's because routine, even though it doesn't sound super sexy, it actually re-engages your parasympathetic nervous system. That's your rest and digest response, right? It's stress reducing in and of itself because we know what's coming. Mm -hmm. And so it does help take some of that stimulation that we just talked about down a notch. That's so interesting to me. So I've always had issues falling asleep. Um, I find that as soon as the world quiets down, my mind gets louder. And so this is this started before motherhood. Honestly, as a kid, I remember having these issues, but it's gotten so much worse since having children. I've tried falling asleep to the TV. Obviously, even mentioning that I'm like, oh, no, stimulation, <laughs> uh, yeah. meditation apps. And recently, uh, within the last year, out of desperation, honestly, I've been begun leaning on melatonin to fall asleep most nights. Um, Shannon and I recently read a study, though, that it said taking melatonin every single night could actually have met negative long term side effects, which, you know, it's sort of marketed as this like temporary crutch with, you know, all natural, you know, no side effects. Are there sleep supplements that you recommend or do you prefer a different approach to reclaiming sleep altogether? Um, I would say a different approach altogether. Mm -hmm. So first of all, I'm not a doctor and sure. I'm not a therapist, so I don't recommend any supplements or pills for sleep. Sure. Um, I've, of course, personally experimented with lots of them mm -hmm. um, back when I was having trouble. Um, and most people who come to me and come to sleep coaching are looking for other ways to help themselves, um, usually because they've been ingesting substances over long periods of time mm -hmm. and that hasn't worked. Um, and so specifically about melatonin or really any other substance, I would encourage uh, your listeners to do their research, you know, mm -hmm. visit a reputable site, learn about how they are intended to be taken uh, for how long, how much and when to take it. Melatonin has a timing to it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I find that many um, folks do uh, misunderstand that and um, and obviously understanding the side effects. And Personally, I remember being shocked that a side effect of Ambien was insomnia. Yeah. Oh, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not sure, you know, a lot of people know that, but yeah. um, 
you know, all of these, all of these things that we ingest are ways to control something, sleep, that is really something that needs to be surrendered to, mm-hmm. right? So when you are taking anything to control your energy, whether that's up or whether that's down, which we do so often now in, in our world, Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the natural systems get thrown out of whack. So, you know, I'm contacted about this all the time, but I don't endorse any pills, products, potions, like even the blankets, even, I mean, the mm-hmm. apps, anything, because I, I really do strongly believe that everyone has the ability to sleep naturally. And like you mentioned, spending time and energy on these quick fixes, which are often pills, does often end up making the problem worse. Mm-hmm. Um, because we're delaying the real work mm-hmm. and we're potentially creating a dependency, whether that's physiological or psychological, um, that, that, you know, has to be unraveled later. For sure. Definitely. Yes. Yeah. So for me, I'm kind of similar to Megan, where I feel like I honestly haven't been able to shut my brain off and go to sleep since I was a kid. And I remember my mom would come in and check on me like an hour after she had put me to bed And she'd be like, why aren't you asleep? And I was like, I don't know. Like I would just be (laughs) laying there, you know, thinking, and I do carry a lot of anxiety. And even as a child, that was true. So a lot of times I would just be laying in bed, worrying about different things. And then that has definitely carried over to adulthood where the minute the TV or my phone goes away, my brain kicks on and starts thinking or planning or making to-do lists. And so for me, when I stopped taking the melatonin a couple months ago, I found a tart cherry supplement. And so most nights, that's what I've been taking to help me relax enough to fall asleep. But I'm very interested in, you said that like we can do the work to reclaim our sleep. Mm, So mm. what would you suggest for someone who has trouble calming a restless mind and what work can we start doing? Right. Um, so <laughs> I'll just say personally, I, I do also suffer from anxiety. So I know mm-hmm. this, I know this personally. And, and again, I'm not a therapist, but this is sort of one of my areas of expertise, right? Mm-hmm. We lay down to rest and sleep and the mind starts getting busy. Um, as I mentioned, sleep is a surrender and it happens when, you know, I, I say the stars align, right? The body and the mind are both able to rest. If your body is restless you will have, you know, if you have trouble getting comfortable, you'll have trouble sleeping, right? That's in the case of pain, or, you know, maybe perhaps you remember that from being pregnant, right? Mm -hmm. You can't find a position, right? (laughs) Um, And, you know, but the mind has to be able to rest and settle too. And, you know, the thing about an anxious, restless mind is that it doesn't just show up at night. It feels that way sometimes because there's nothing else to do but lie there, Mm -hmm. right? So we're, we're much more aware of it. But if someone can't physically sit still for five minutes during the day, right? I call this the pop-up syndrome, right? You sit down to take a break and then you're like, oh, I, I forgot They're the laundry is in that the and then you sit down and I'm going to take yes. a break. Oh, but I forgot this. And you like, you're literally popping up, right? Because you can't just sit yourself down. Um, and if you can't steady or focus your mind during the day, then it makes perfect sense that you're not going to be able to do this at night. Mm-hmm. So this goes back to the idea of training and, and also why I blend therapeutic yoga and meditation into my coaching programs, because what you do during the day has way more influence on the nighttime. And I don't think a lot of people realize this, right? We can't be anxious and, and have a busy mind and a scattered mind and not be able to rest and sit down during the day and then have it magically show up at night. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and <laughs> most of my clients see that there are a lot of little things that contribute to their sleep and anxiety and that ha- those things happen during the day and they need to be, their work is they need to be identified and addressed one by one. And the way I like to think about this is like, you know, if you've ever done a jigsaw puzzle, right, you need to have all the pieces out of the box and on the table. Mm-hmm. Um, if there's a couple pieces in the box, you're never going to put the puzzle together. Right. And, and then you need to put it together. So, you know, this is why I think sometimes the quick fixes don't work too, because they don't address all the different components the way something like coaching does, right? We look at everything that's going on in a person's life. And I do spend a lot of time helping people clean up their day (laughs) Mm -hmm. so that that supports what happens at night. And then it's not such a nighttime struggle. It's a, oh, I didn't realize Right. That these these activities or these ways of thinking or being that I'm, I'm doing the dur- during the day are really are what is creating my nighttime problems. That's so interesting to me because that's I mean, I've done a, a lot of work on myself. It's something I'm proud of, but it's that is not something that I have ever considered. Like I've considered, you know, you know, dropping my second cup of coffee in the afternoon and consuming less technology closer to bed and little things like that. But I hadn't really considered how the stress that you carry or the, you know, the get up and go all day long could really impact the fact that you're sitting there and then your to-do list is in your brain as soon as it's quiet. Um, I really like the idea. And I like also understanding that, you know, sleep, sleep coaching isn't just what happens at 10 o'clock at night it's what's happening all day long that contributes to um the fact that you're not getting a restless night's sleep i do think a lot of moms feel like nighttime is their only time for themselves it's time when they can be productive you know we shannon and i both work from home and we work in pockets of time or it's time for them to rest or not be touched or not be needed and it's really hard to cut that time off in the evening uh so that we, we might have good intentions to go to bed early and start a nighttime routine that's more conducive to sleep, but then we end up staying up late, kind of enjoying the time to ourselves only to kick ourselves the next morning when we're exhausted. So how do we normalize creating that nighttime routine and going to bed early so that we can feel our best the next day? Yes. The revenge bedtime procrastination, (laughs) as it has been called. Um, I was uh, asked to uh, give a quote for the Boston Globe not too long ago, and I had actually not heard that term uh, mm-hmm. of what it was before before doing that. But uh, it's interesting. And again, you know, the the problem is in the question or in the the comment you just made. Nighttime is their only time for themselves, mm-hmm. right? So where is the five minutes, the fifteen minutes in the day where self care can happen? And you know, I get it. We're all busy, and this isn't optional. Right. Um, mm-hmm. You know, for some people, finding finding this time means more ruthless prioritization. Sure. Uh, for others, it means healthier boundaries. Um, some other folks need to learn to ask for help. I once uh, had a client who had a nanny mm-hmm. and she felt bad giving the nanny work to do. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. And, and and so once she started, you know, realizing like, oh, I have this help. It's OK to use this help. Um, you know, both of them actually improved their relationship with each other. And mm-hmm. she was able to literally lock herself in a room for 15 minutes and do some yoga, mm-hmm. right? Or just take some quiet time for herself. And that made such a huge difference on how she dealt with, you know, working from home, having her own business, um, dealing with her three children, um, dealing with her significant other, running the kids to the, you know, events and, and activities when she had to, right? So, 
um, you know, again, this is this is a daytime issue, right? Mm-hmm. If you if nighttime is the only time you have for yourself, that's a problem mm-hmm. that needs you know, to that be is resolved. Making, <laughs> yeah, I'm taking so many notes, Callie. <laughs> <laughs> That's making so much sense to me because one of the things that I had to learn about my baby and toddler sleep is that their daytime dictates their nighttime sleep too. Um, As far as nutrition, like are they getting enough food during the day that they're not going to wake up hungry? As far as energy, are they, you know, active enough that they'll be able to rest at night and calm down? Um, nap times, are they, you know, napping when they need to and not too late? Like I figured out that puzzle, like you said, but I never, ever applied it to my own life that my daytime could dictate my nighttime too. So this is a game changer. Yes. The easiest, the easiest thing is to apply all the things that you're applying to your children, to yourself now. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I do want to go back and address the, um, the uh, uh, normalizing, sure. you know, the, yeah. the early bedtime, because this is one of my pet peeves. Um, this idea that going to bed early is being somehow lame or, oh, I'm old, I'm in bed. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. you never see someone post on social, hey, I'm in my PJs and ready for sleep at nine and I'm doing such a great thing for my health. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. I mean, what would it take to feel proud of yourself because you woke up refreshed in the morning and ready to take on a day? And, you know, what? What could that mean for your family, your work, mm-hmm. your other health goals like nutrition or exercise, right? And I think for many people, remembering the deep why mm-hmm. of an earlier bedtime is what helps to create that real motivation that helps you make that decision and 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 be really um, ruthless in in your boundaries. Uh, you know, it's not a punishment; it's a it's something that will create freedom for you. For sure. We actually, so we recently did a podcast on maternal mental health and Shannon mm-hmm. and I were both very candid about our our mental health struggles in the past and how we have tools in our toolbox now. And we encourage other, our listeners, moms, women um, to add tools to their own toolbox to protect their mental health and work on it as a piece of their overall health. And it's funny, you know, we lean into this issue of, of having, you know, we have these tools in our toolbox for our mental health, but our sleep is still crap. <laughs> and so if we, I, I really do think like setting those really specific boundaries and saying like, this is something that I have to, it's a process. I have to work on it just like I'm working on things that are more, I guess, commonly addressed in my mental health. It's really powerful. So I, I love this. I feel like um, I'm having a little bit of an epiphany moment here. <laughs> yeah. Well, and to what, how Callie worded it, like to change our perspective right. that going to sleep, um, what did you say? It's not, it's not a punishment. A punishment. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's huge too, because a lot of times it does feel like, okay, well, I'm cutting myself off now, but it, you mm-hmm. know, just to change how we look at that time as well. And we actually polled our Boston mom's writing team. And I wanted to ask you a few of their sleep questions, Callie. So let's say that you get startled awake at night by a toddler with a nightmare or a snoring spouse or even a noisy pet. How do we fall back asleep after we've been startled awake? Yes, that's a, that's a great question. And um, I just want to go back one second if sure, I can sure, to, yes, to the mental course. health podcast because I did listen to that. Oh, good. Um, and I, I wanted to just point out that if people aren't aware of this, the the connection between mm-hmm. sleep deprivation and mood mm-hmm. is huge. Yeah. Right. So if someone does suffer from anxiety or depression, for example, 
then one of the best things they could do for themselves is to prioritize their sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, because we know we just cannot handle the, the stress the, you know, we get irritable, right. It mm-hmm. is sort of in the, in the minimal sense, but on the, on the other end of the spectrum, like if, if it is a clinical diagnosis, if it's something that, you know, a, a person has been struggling with for so many years, getting refreshing sleep is so, so important. It is, it's crucial. And, you know, you mentioned tools to have in your toolbox. It is, it is probably the number one foundation mm-hmm. I would say for, for mood and for, for being able to, um, you know, show up in the best way when, when you do know that you struggle with that. So, um, I just wanted to point that out. Um, so going back to the, the falling back to sleep after being startled awake, um, the answer to that varies a great deal. And, you know, part of my role as a coach is to help people, individuals with sleep challenges connect directly to techniques and tools that work best for them. Mm-hmm. So I can't tell you, you know, if you do this one thing, you're going sure. to fall back to sleep quickly mm-hmm. and easily. I will say that um, if if your listeners want, they can find seven different techniques on my website mm-hmm. that they can experiment with. Okay. Um, but often the goal of a lot of the things that I um, will put out there is not to fall back to sleep, but rather to rebalance the nervous system, right, to reduce that stimulation to start to rest because mm-hmm. that's the prerequisite for falling asleep. So the techniques that I usually use with people are, are again, not the goal is not, Oh, it put me to sleep. So it worked or it didn't put me to sleep. So it didn't work. It's to start to take down, you know, take that deep exhale, take down all that energy so that maybe the next night, right. We can, we can fall asleep, but um, you know, what you do in the bed you know, is going to vary. Some people um, like to count their breathing. Other people like to visualize different things. One of my favorite uh, things to do actually is I, I walk every day hmm. and I walk the same route pretty much since the pandemic, right? And so I can visualize walking that same path as hmm. I'm lying in bed. And, you know, I do that and I fall asleep. Um, but for someone else, they might not have that you know, that memory of that path in their mind, or they might find that too challenging. So, you know, they might want to count for counting. Uh, For some people, especially if they have anxiety, counting might create more anxiety, right? (laughs) So, so you have to, um, you have to experiment and find your own best uh, resolution to that. But um, I think um, a lot of this is mindset too. And I think we're going to talk about this a little bit later too, which is, you know, being compassionate with ourselves when we do wake up. Yeah. And how, what do we say to ourselves when that does happen? What should we say to ourselves? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, if, if, um, if someone wakes up, for example, consistently in the middle of the night, right. Then, um, you know, whether it's ruminating, you know, when they wake up or, you know, some people get up to go to the bathroom, right. And they come back to bed and they're like laying there and it's like, why does this happen? Right. Mm-hmm. Or okay, it's, you know, it's three in the morning. I need to get myself to sleep now. Like what's wrong with you? I've had people call themselves Mm -hmm. stupid Mm -hmm. and idiots and, you know, say, you know, curse words that we wouldn't say, you know, in front of our children, probably. (laughs) Um, And it is frustrating, you know, maybe to fall asleep fine and then wake up in the middle of the night. Um, Again, this usually has to do with that hyper arousal of the nervous system. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, 
asking the question, why is this happening, can be a distraction, right? It's only useful if it helps you to identify and change the behaviors. But if you're laying there going, why is this happening to me? Um, you know, how I need to get back to sleep now, what's wrong with me? Um, then, you know, think about what would happen if your child got up and came into bed and said, I, I, I woke up. How would you, mm-hmm. it was, you say, oh, you stupid, get back to bed. Right. Right. What's wrong with you? Why can't you sleep? Right. That's not the way we would, you know, talk to our children. So again, thinking about yourself as, as you would your child, how can you speak with encouragement and compassion? I was, I was actually just going to touch on that because it's funny. One of the things, so my oldest child has, he's uh, very much like me. So I see a lot of myself in him and he has trouble sleeping. And so he'll wake up and usually it's after a really busy day or a big event is coming up or something. And he'll either have trouble sleeping or he'll wake up and we've had night terrors and all this. And so one of the ways that I've coached him as his parent is we talk about um, when he's having trouble sleeping, we uh, he I asked him to make up a story in his head. So think of something like last year we vacationed on the Cape. So I say, imagine the Cape house and feel the sand beneath your toes. And, you know, I'm giving him these tricks and then I'm listening to you telling us to do that for ourselves. And I'm like, yeah. why am I not lying in my bed thinking about the Cape house? Like, Because we're always harder on ourselves. Yeah. I mean, we just are. I like. And it. I would say too that, so I had an, an incident last week where my toddler got up at like, 3 a.m., which is common for him. And instead of letting him pass out in my bed like he wanted to, I got up, took him to his bed. And yes, I also, I'll say, you know, let's think happy thoughts and go back to sleep. I come back to bed and my brain is turned on. Mm -hmm. Like all of a sudden I'm worrying about all the things I probably was worrying about falling asleep six hours earlier. (laughs) And then, um, then it's compacted by, I know I'm awake at 3 a.m. And so I'm stressed about how tired I'm going to be mm-hmm. the next day. But I think, Kelly, what you are helping me realize is that daytime work is going to be applicable to if I wake up during the night too, not just to falling asleep. Mm-hmm. But if I wake up and like you said, I've done my daytime work where I've meditated or I have a place for all those worries and anxieties and to my to-do list I can see where that would also help. Like if I wake up in the middle of the night, for sure. Yes. And you mentioned, uh, you know, with your toddler that, Oh, you had a very busy day. Right. Mm -hmm. I imagine that day was filled with stimulation, right? Of course, of course they're going to have trouble falling asleep after a day like that. Right. That's that go, 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 go syndrome doesn't just shut off because we get into the bed and usually even the bedtime routines, right. They just, take it down a notch, mm-hmm. right? If you've been running on, you know, high speed, high gear all day, you know, doing a 30 minute little bedtime, something doesn't undo all that. Right. Yeah. Um, it's just not enough. So, you know, usually what I will, you know, recommend for people is to, you know, just notice how much stimulation is happening during your day. Notice how that impacts your sleep at night. That's um, such a great point. And, and I know something I know a little bit about, too, the um, the next day, right? You have a big, I'm actually studying for a, a big health and wellness coaching board exam that's happening Monday, right? So, okay, Sunday night, what does that look like, right? Because I know that the next day I have to be up early. I'm going to have to take this five-hour test, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's, you know, it is stressful, right? So I'm already, you know, a week ahead of time thinking about, okay, well, at what point do I cut off my studying? At what point do I take care of myself? At what point am I just telling myself, 
you know, positive things like I've got this. I've been studying since January. Right. It will be okay, Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Versus, oh, you better get to sleep now because you got to get up early because, you know, I mean, (laughs) it's a different (laughs) it's a different mindset. It's a different way of self-talk and it needs to start earlier. Definitely. Well, how many hours of sleep for an adult is a realistic goal? And this was another question from someone on our Boston Moms team. Um, she said, how do I make the most, I'm sorry, how do I make sleep the most restful so I don't wake up after seven hours more tired than I was the night before? Yeah, so I hear I hear two questions here. Mm-hmm. Um, one is just, you know, the, the standard recommendation, which you've all likely heard is seven to nine hours. You know, of course, this varies. Um, it depends on the the quality of the sleep or the efficiency of the sleep, which I think is the second question. Um, some sources do indicate that women need more sleep mm-hmm. than men, even though they often get less. <laughs> yeah. So just, you know, if you're someone who feels like, well, I don't feel quite right unless I get the nine hours. Well, you know, that's okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. That's not abnormal necessarily. Um, and then, you know, again, it's about the quality and the sleep efficiency, right? If you get seven hours and you wake feeling more tired, it could be because you're waking up frequently. Um, It also could be due to timing. Um, What I love about bringing therapeutic yoga into coaching is that there are in the yogic philosophy or the Ayurvedic philosophy, there are actually windows of time that are, you know, based on how nature functions where energy is either naturally rising or naturally falling. So it's best to sync bedtime and waking time with those energies, right? If you're waking as energy is naturally rising, it will be easier to wake, right? If you're waking up at a time where energy is kind of falling, it's going to be hard to get going, right? Because you're kind of working against the natural grain, so to speak. So, you know, having bedtime and morning and wake time, um, when those seven hours happens matters, right? It's different if you go to bed by, let's say, 10 p.m. and wake up seven hours later versus you go to bed at midnight and wake up seven hours later. It's a different quality of sleep, it, generally speaking. So, so are, there are things that, that one can play with there, um, but also you know, using the techniques to help get yourself back to sleep if you do wake up and reducing that stimulation so those happen less often. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, the last question we had from our team, how do we combat hearing phantom crying? And I think you mentioned that you've heard this from moms where we think we hear or we anticipate hearing our kids needs and actually they're sound asleep and it was just our imaginations. <laughs> right, right. And not just moms. I've heard this from people who, you know, hear strange sounds, you know, mm-hmm. in their apartment building, you know, somebody's doing laundry or um, you know, that, that this is, again, uh, partly the vigilance, right? It's, it's a retraining of your system because you've, you've likely been, you know, anticipating hearing mm-hmm. your kids need you for years, right? So what you do in that moment matters and specifically how you talk to yourself matters. So again, if your child woke up scared, how much compassion and encouragement would you give that child? Sure. Um, saying something like, Thank you for helping me listen for my child. That's been useful, but they're okay right now. And it's safe for me to go back to sleep. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Right. And, and, you know, what you say to yourself, how you encourage yourself, how you support yourself, you know, the language needs to be yours, but that was, you know, sort of what I came up with as, as an idea, right? Because again, this is 
This is concern that was well-placed at one time. So thank your system for giving you that because it was useful Mm -hmm. when you needed it and now it is not. So it's safe for me to go back to sleep. I love that. I love that too. I feel like that positive self-talk is something that we could take to all parts of our life, but certainly with sleep and just, just speaking like as friends, Shannon and I both kind of go back and forth with this. We have this like heavy frustration about sleep instead of it being something that we're trying to honor for ourselves and trying to, you know, almost, almost frame it as like medicinal for ourselves. We're just frustrated. And so we go into it like, I'm going to have this hard time and I'm no longer taking melatonin. And so that's going to really jack me up. And, you know, it's this whole thing. Instead, I really like the idea of this positive self-talk of, (laughs) of kind of like, I don't know, honoring the fact that you deserve to sleep and you can thank your body for all that it's gone through. And the fact that we've been able to survive on so little sleep (laughs) for so many years. And now it's time to reclaim that for ourselves. So this has been so insightful and helpful. Callie, for anyone who's interested in further utilizing your expertise, which I feel like we're going to get several of those from this from this talk. um, Can you share more about the courses you offer and how someone would go about booking with you for sleep and well-being coaching? Sure, sure. Um, there is lots of information on my website. I am mm-hmm. a prolific writer and <laughs> producer of content. Um, my website is calliesleepcoach.com or calliepatrick.com. There are um, free videos uh, around mindset specifically, um, which are good for everybody. Um, articles. And I also have a course called the Sleep Academy, and mm-hmm. that contains a lot more detail about many of the concepts I touched on today. And I did design it specifically for busy people who have lots of stress and anxious minds. So the the busy mind um, and the the hyper aroused nervous system, obviously, that's all contained. It's a a nice little six week course that is um, in small digestible chunks um, Mm. for for the person who's on the go and and only has a little bit of time there. Um, and, And, you know, that's available to, you know, to purchase and do whenever um, from the website and, and to see if one-on-one sleep and well-being coaching is a good fit. Um, listeners can always book a free 30 minute clarity call. And that's, you know, also possible from my website and we'll talk and see because coaching, you know, it's not a great fit for everyone. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's best when, you know, there's a good rapport between, you know, if what I'm saying is resonating with someone, if they're ready to try something different, um, if they're ready to take a look at, you know, making some changes and, and are really ready to make some changes, then um, coaching might be a, a great fit. Because I'm not I'm not going to ever tell someone you must do this and you'll sleep better because that's not how it works. Sure. Right? We we partner together. We figure it out and we, we get all those puzzle pieces on the table and then we put them together. And hopefully from that, you know, someone gets the skills that uh, and, and the techniques and the tools that they need to help them not just now, but, you know, 10 years from now, so that that the next time, if there is a challenge with sleep, they know how to help themselves. Definitely. This has been such a great conversation, and we will absolutely include your website and where listeners can find you on social media in our show notes for this episode. Callie, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. I am already looking forward to applying what I've learned from you today to help with my sleep. Um, At the end of every episode, we ask all of our guests the same question. So we wanted to ask you, what are you loving about living in greater Boston right now? Oh, gosh, I forgot you were going to ask me that one. But (laughs) (laughs) Um, I am actually a a diehard Bruins fan. Oh, yeah. I'm a hockey fan. So, 
even though we lost game one, yeah. I'm, I'm really excited that, um, that we're in the playoffs and, you know, we get to have a game tonight and, you know, fingers crossed, we come home with at least one game under our belt. So <laughs> that's, yeah. that's, that's the excitement for my evenings that I have to, you know, watch how, how many overtimes I watch before <laughs> my own, my own sleep gets wrecked. Right? <laughs> that is, that's so funny that you mentioned that. Cause that's actually a real conversation in our home after I can't, my we're diehard Bruins fans too. And I actually can't watch past the first period unless it's like Stanley, like we're in the, in the cup because it, I, it makes me so nervous. But the, th- yeah. the hilarious thing is I think about all these players, moms, <laughs> <laughs> I'm always like, oh my gosh, because you see their families in the stands or like Charlie Coyle's grandmother was there a couple games ago. It's just so precious. But um, go Bruins. We'll end with that. <laughs> uh, th- thank you listeners for joining us today. We hope this episode of the Wicked Good Momcast was as helpful to you as it was to us. Thank you again, Callie, for being our guest and a reminder that you can find all of Callie's contact information on bostonmoms.com. We'd be so grateful if you left us a quick positive review wherever you stream your podcast so that we can continue reaching more moms. Shannon and I will be back soon with a brand new episode of the Wicked Good Momcast. Until then, remember, you are a Wicked Good Mom. Wicked Good Mom.